Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to our podcast and hello to my lovely co-host, Wendy. Wendy, how are you doing? How's your week going? Really good week so far, especially today. And you'll know this because you were there as well. We've just come out of a really inspiring conference. I was a bit worried because it was all day and it was on Zoom and I thought, oh, we're just going to feel a bit flat at the end of it. But it was so, so good. So uh, yeah, and really looking forward to chatting with Sam. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. It was the um, the the Rise Conference, which if if you haven't been to, I thoroughly recommend that you go to it next year. Uh, the annual conference from Creative Equals, all about diversity, inclusion, creative leadership, and oh my God, just so much food for thought. But actually, food and inspiring. That's a kind of a nice little segue to our guest today because we are joined by Sam Dolan, who is the head of marketing at. Aunt Bessie's. Welcome, Sam. Hey, how are you both doing? Great, thank you. Really good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. The sun is shining. It's a good week. (laughs) Not so good for roast dinners, though. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't be quite so joyous about the sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everyone knows, I'm sure everyone knows the Aunt Bessie's brand, but Sam, can you explain your role a bit more and how it fits into the, the wider group as well? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I, as you rightly say, I'm the head of marketing for Aunt Bessie's. Aunt Bessie's is owned by Birdseye, which in turn is owned by Nomad Foods. So quite a wide group. Nomad is a European um, company. Um, I, there's other brands in Europe that you'll have heard of, Finders, maybe Igloo, not so much, but it, it's it, they've got quite a wide portfolio. Uh, my role as head of marketing at Aunt Bessie's is to really manage just the Aunt Bessie's brand. I've got a little team of four. They've all been with me since before we were bought by bird's eye so there's there's lots of kind of knowledge and expertise there so so yeah that's me I think I'm going to steal a quote from a, a lady that works in customer services who has done for about 30 years who said if you cut me there'd be batter in my veins and I reckon that's true <laughs> for me as well fantastic you're definitely a brand advocate absolutely more about that later I think uh, yeah, well okay well <laughs> let's let's go backwards before we go into sort of the the, the branding i I'm always fascinated about people's journey into marketing and and how you got to where you are now. So would you mind just kind of uh, sharing with with the audience just a little bit more about your story? Not at all. I mean, I always say that I didn't choose marketing. Marketing chose me. So um, I, I, I didn't. I wasn't very academic. I didn't really enjoy school. I, when I was 16, I wanted to leave school, but I got fairly decent GCSE results. So my parents persuaded me to stay on. I ditched that after a year and then fell into about 
probably eight years of, of seven, eight years of doing different office jobs from a purchase ledger clerk to a stint in procurement buying rubber bungs oh. for a laboratory, which was fun. Um, and, and eventually this marketing assistant role came up. And this was all when I was back in the days of, uh, I worked for Express Dairies, which were latterly bought by Arla Foods. And this job came up and somebody said, oh, you can talk, you'd be quite good at that. So I, I fell into it. And within two weeks, I, it was like a mala moment where it was like, this is what I want to do. This is just amazing. And I went back to college and my mum was perplexed because she knew how much I wasn't academic and hated it. And she was like, what do you mean you're paying to go back to college yourself? You know, wow, where's Sam and what have you done with her? <laughs> um, and and, and I, just, I just fell in love with it and it all kind of, and I've never looked back. So, you know, 20 six 27 years later i'm still in marketing i've always i've always been in food fmcg i've never kind of there's, there's enough more than enough to keep me occupied so not a very traditional route and and you know i feel a bit sorry for youngsters today because i think nowadays that just doesn't happen mm -hmm. you know a, a, an abm role as it would be now an assistant brand manager role wouldn't come up and there's a there's a pressure i think to give it to somebody with a bit of experience whereas i was lucky enough that you know I, somebody said oh i think you might be quite good at that and, and gave me a chance and it all just it all just went from there i love the fact that they were sort of saying that you're good at talking you should give this a go it, it's happened many times since tamara <laughs> is that is that a theme in your career <laughs> yeah absolutely a part of this mark the marketing society um conference that i've attended the last couple of days we had to give ourselves a mundane superhero name and draw it and i was the mouth <laughs> just because i like talking <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. So you know that Tamara and I really like to get to know the human behind the brand. So can we go a little bit further back um, in your journey and talk about what you were like as a kid? So when you were growing up, what did you want to be? Policewoman. From being four or five years old, playing dress ups, I always wanted to be a policewoman. There was no other, there was never anything else for me. Back in the day, and it may not be like this now, you either joined the police force as a cadet when you were 16, and then you couldn't join till you were sort of 18 and a half, 19. And as I previously said, you know, my parents persuaded me after my GCSEs to go and try and do A-levels, which failed miserably. And then I was kind of kind of have to wait a year and then life takes over and you just don't do it. But but honestly, from the age of four to probably leaving school, that that was what I always wanted to do. I had books and books and books about police and police force and police dogs. And I was just, I was a little bit obsessed. So um, I don't think I'd have been a very good policewoman. <laughs> I think fate intervened. And I think it was probably a really good thing because, you know, I cry really easily. <laughs> I'm really emotional. <laughs> I think the minute somebody, a, a, you know, a thief said boo to me, I'd have been running off down the street. So I'm, I'm not sure I'd have been built for it. So probably not a bad thing, but yeah. My sister in law's sister is a is a police officer she's quite senior now but she tells some absolute in bradford as well which which is you know in parts can be fairly shady mm. and she tells some horrific stories and i just think oh thank the lord i didn't choose that life could have been very different and is there any advice that you would give to your teenage self now I, absolutely i suppose linked into what i just said i, I would say make what you love what you do 
So um, what, one of the speakers at the Marketing Society was a guy called Jeremy Connell Way, and he works for IBM. And, and the, spe- the talk he was giving was about the art of storytelling, but he, he, he kind of digressed a little bit into something called Aikigai. Have you ever heard of Aikigai? No. So Aikigai is a, a Japanese concept of belonging, and it was, it was created in a small island somewhere in Japan. And basically, you, you write four circles on a page, and in the four circles, you write one, in one you write what you love, in one you write what the world needs, in one you write what you're good at, and in one you write what you're paid to do. And the concept is if you can get them all to overlap, that's nirvana. Right. So I think the thing for me is that, you know, as, as, as a teenager, I felt a, quite a lot of pressure to just, go, go, you know, get a good job. The amount of people that would say to you, oh, if you don't do this, it's going to, you won't get a good job. And actually, I'd say to my young self, focus on what you love and find a job that fits that rather than the other way around. <laughs> so that, that, I mean, there's all the other stuff as well. I've got a 15 year old who, you know, I constantly say to him, mate, you need to get a job, leave home now while you still know everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's all that kind of stuff as well. But yeah, I think I'd say make, make what you do, what you love or vice versa. The last time we spoke, you mentioned that you mentor young people. Mm. Um, I imagine that that must be very rewarding for you as well as a mentee. So uh, what do you get out of that? Do you know, I only wish I had more time to do it. A couple of them came around purely by accident that they'd applied for roles within my team and didn't get them. But I saw something in them and thought, actually, no, I'm going to I'm going to try and help. I mean, I, I, I what what I get out of it is is kind of just that proud mum moment that you, mm. that you that you're helping someone. And, and you. it's so difficult to break into marketing. Now, we talked about it a, a little bit before, you know what happened to me 26 27 years ago those things don't happen now so for those guys hopefully to be able to put on their cv that a head of marketing is mentoring them and that you know and and give them real life experiences that they can talk about and you know and and educate them and and almost put a little bit of my experience in their head without them doing it because that that's what everyone says right you go to interviews oh you've not got enough experience oh on your cv you've not got but actually just trying to give them some of that in some way shape or form and help them you know and and often I mean when I first started mentoring the two guys that are not in our business because I mentor some people internally as well Mm -hmm. often they're even their CV you know that when you talk to them they're missing things off that as an employer I'd be going oh there's a project there which you know was really heavily cross-functional working well okay you could argue cross-functional working could sit in any department but for marketing to be able to work cross-functionally is super important because, you know, you're normally the only department that's on the bus the whole way through, you know, you're normally, you know, you're driving the bus, you set the, you put the direction in the sat nav and you carry on driving it. And as you go along the stops, you know, procurement will get on and off, MPD will get on and off, your agencies will get on and off, but you're normally the only guys on it for the whole way. So Mm -hmm. something like cross-functional working would be hugely important and young people don't always pick up on the nuances but yeah to answer your question for me it's just giving something back mm-hmm. and, and you know and, and helping where I can and and you know we may digress into bad bosses later but the worst mm-hmm. bosses I've had are the ones that almost resent your success and I've never mm-hmm. quite got that you know I always think gosh if you've mentored that person worked with them developed them written their development plan helped them gosh you should just feel that sense of pride when they when they go off and do well 
And I think the the mentoring has been particularly important when you can't have young people going into the offices, for example. I think, uh, you know, I, I dread to think what's happened to the, the sort of intern programs and, and that sort of thing that have mm. fallen by the wayside a bit because people weren't in an office. So I, I think it's it's so brilliant what you're doing to to sort of spread spread your experience and, and build people's confidence as well. Because we, we do, as, a, as an industry, we need people from all walks of life have been given those chances to to get into the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And, and often they've not, they don't know where to start with networking because there's no foot in and the door's closed. So, you know, if I can help with that as well, which I have a couple of times, just putting them in the right direction. And, you know, you, you go you, you go into Google and put marketing courses and you're overwhelmed with, so if I can even offer a little bit of help in terms of, well, don't bother with that one because that, but don't bother. And things like um, the IGD, that, that both of the, the guys I'm mentoring want to be in FMCG. So somewhere, an institution like the IGD, you do some great free courses, you know, they hadn't even thought about that. They'd been solely focused on marketing. So it's just, yeah, just, just using that knowledge. And, and, you know, as I say, I only wish I had more time to do mm-hmm. it, <laughs> going back to my do what you love. Um, yes. But hopefully um, I, I will. I'll be carving out a bit more time to dedicate to that. And thinking about the people that you've worked with over the years, which genuine humans have most influenced your career? This is a really tough one because I've been really lucky in that, you know, I I could think I could give you a list. I'm going to talk about one. And it's a guy called Ash Amiramadi, and he's, he's the managing director of Arla UK now. And I first came across him when I was a really junior marketeer. I'd worked at, at, at Cadbury looking after Butterkiss popcorn and wanted to work for and and, and Cadbury was in the, that part of the business was in the process of being bought by Tangerine so there was a lot of redundancies and un, unsettled and so I took a maternity cover at Arla and as that maternity cover was ending I was really struggling to sort of get a permanent position and he sort of took me under his wing a little bit and um and 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 you know a bit like I'm doing I suppose with these other young people yeah. and championed me a little bit and and you know encouraged people to sort of give me a go and eventually after a few months I did get a permanent brand manager's position and it wasn't anything to do with marketing why he um, so that I mean that's how he progressed my career really but it, the reason I would quote him is nothing to do with marketing but it, it's to do with being a being a human which is the theme of this podcast right so he is a genuine human he will he would say to me in meetings if he could see me stumbling he'd just pause and say it's fine not to know if you don't know tell me you don't know don't give me some bullshit answer and then I'll go away and find out it's wrong don't yeah. do that just just tell me you don't know and it's and again with youngsters today it's a big thing that they they, they feel the pressure to know everything he also taught me the value of feedback and not just feedback, but continual feedback. And he was brilliant at it. We had a poster up in the end in the office that said feedback, the breakfast of champions, because mm-hmm. he, he, he firmly believed that that was how you developed and, and, you, and you grew. He was really good fun. He was doing what he loved. And I'm, I'm going to probably keep going back to that, but he was doing what he loved and, and he made 
everything fun. He could be, you know, pretty fearsome as well. And, he, you know, he didn't get to where he got to by not being on it and not, but, but he made things fun. I, I remember once we were waiting to go into a meeting and it was delayed for whatever reason. And he started this game of, of Fuzzy Duck. I don't know if you've ever played that where you basically <laughs> yes. keep playing it to and, and, and at this point, he was probably sort of one below the managing director who was quite senior at this point. And um, his dare was to interrupt a meeting that was going on in the next office along and ask if they had any Velcro. <laughs> and we were all going, he's not going to do it, he's not going to do it. And by Jove, he did go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> did they have no. any Velcro? He didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was and he was, he was, so he was fun. He was really tenacious. He, he, he invested time in people. You know, he gave you great stories and things in his own experience and passed it on. And I keep in touch with him to this day. And I've not worked at Arla for, must be, probably six seven years now but I still ring him and I was still sort of asking for advice and um yeah I'd I'd call him out I mean as I say I've been really lucky even my boss now Sarah is great you know she's really her values are solid and and I think you know number one thing in a boss if they've got solid values Mm -hmm. everything's going to spiral from there if they've got solid values and they're good people you can't go far wrong (laughs) but no I've been lucky I've been really lucky Wonderful. Would you say that you've had a worse job and you don't have to name names if you don't want to? I've never had a bad job, but I've had a couple of bad bosses. Right. So, and I think that's a thing. I really do. I think I think often when you look at, a, you know, in black and white, a job on paper, you think, oh, this is great. But your enjoyment of that job and how you're developing it is so determined by your leader. And I purposely say leader, not manager. I, I, I think it's so determined by that, that that can make it or break it. Somebody, there's quite a famous quote, isn't there, that people leave managers, not companies or something. Yes. And I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's the same. I think people leave leave their bosses, managers, not jobs because yeah. yeah. often it's not it's not the job you know okay you may have outgrown that role and you need a bigger one and there's not one available but that's not not liking it that's just just out, out outgrowing it I think leader and manager are two very very different things yeah. and and I think the, the the bad bosses I've had have been managers not leaders mm-hmm. and, and that's a that's that's a firm a firm difference gosh I'm not going to name any names but I remember the the, the worst the worst one I had was just so into the detail and so and, and used to and I was a senior brand manager by this point and they used to sit me down every morning and tell me what they wanted me to do that day that they were so controlling and and it, they just couldn't see how that was affecting me and I guess the advice I would give in that situation is just tell them how you're feeling how, tell them how that makes you feel because they can't argue with that right yeah. If you say to me, what you've just said has upset me, I can't go, it hasn't, because it's your <laughs> feelings and, and it has upset you. So so you have to deal with it. You have to put it out there. So I, I give that advice quite a lot, actually, if people come to me and say, I'm struggling a bit with this person or just get it out there. Just tell them how you feel. Again, this guy, um, it might have been Jeremy, it might have been a different speaker, but something else I'm passionate about, he was talking about, you know, the whole work persona, personal persona absolute rubbish mm-hmm. hashtag just be you 24 7 it's not a thing and it shouldn't be a thing and and again I read a book once was about what do you want to be remembered for your epitaph or your cv well epitaph every time will then you know stop mm-hmm. putting on a front at work then yeah you just sort of 
get on with it. Sorry, I'm I'm digressing. No, off no, I now. love it. I was I was just going to say that um, I I don't think I've got enough energy to try and be two different people. Um, yeah. Life's too short. So yeah, it's kind of what you see at work is what you see outside of work for me as well. So I I, I totally endorse that view. And the most extreme example I saw was a lady that, and again, I won't name names, but she was a buyer. And this happens quite a lot that buyers at retailers come over and, and start working in either category or sales roles. And this lady quite some years ago was a buyer and she was the most ferocious buyer and nobody ever wanted to go, you know, she was she was really quite rude. And then she came over to work in a role at, at the company I was at at the time. And it was like, oh my God, this woman's really nice. And it was just like, what have you, what have you been doing to me for the last three years in the, like, you're actually really nice. What have you been? And it was, you know, she felt the pressure in that role to be stern yeah. and to be, but yeah. you just don't get anywhere with, you know, I would hate to think anyone was frightened of me. Yeah. That, that just would not turn me on. No. I'm sure it does for some people, but I, that would be, that would really upset me if I thought someone was frightened of me and, and, and dreaded. I'm sorry to say, I'm sure there are people that go, oh, I've got a meeting with so-and-so now and I know they're a bit frightened of me, but not me. They, you're just not going to get the best out of people. No, yeah. completely. So Sam, you've you've mentioned obviously a couple of brands there, Cadbury's uh, Butterkiss Popcorn, Arla, and, and obviously the fabulous Aunt Bessie's now. Looking back, what have you been most proud of so far? No doubt the last year has been amazing, Aunt Bessie's, kind of turning the brand around during covid and not having my team around me and that's that's been that's been hard and i've got lots of kind of satisfaction from that but i think what tops that is launching arla skier when i was at arla which is um a, you may or may not have heard of it it's a, a yogurt that's got protein in it it's icelandic style yogurt so it's it's like greek style but even thicker and and the reason i'm so proud of that is, i think is twofold one the time i did it in so i came back from maternity leave sort of april may time and was doing a few projects and then sort of august came around and my boss said to me oh um we want to get into because Arla at this point weren't in yogurt at all we were in every other category in dairy but not yogurt and my boss turned around and said oh um we want to um, launch some yogurts. There's a couple of SKUs that already exist in the Netherlands and, and, and Denmark, but um, and we want to do it in April. And it's August at this point. Okay. And I'm like, right, what's the budget? Five million quid, make a TV ad do. Okay, this is getting even worse. I've not even got to. So the time we turned it around in was phenomenal. The other reason I'm really proud of it, and I'll come on in a minute to talk about it was successful and why, but the other the other big thing was everybody thought it would fail. Arla had tried several times to get into yogurt and Muller and Danone had always managed to kind of kill it off within the first three or four months of so imagine the pressure of internally everybody going, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And you've got six months to do it and it was it was tough. It was it was really, really, really tough. And we talk, don't we, about sort of big begrudging agreement. And that's absolutely where this project was. It was in, everybody knew it was the right thing to do. And every, in meetings, everyone was nodding at me. And then they were all going out of the room and going, well, she's off her head. This is never going to work. So it, so two reasons I am most proud of it is the time length I had to do it in. And as I say, that 
everybody was very skeptical internally. Luckily, it was a it was a flaming success. It was it was brilliant, and retailers supported us, and we grew the yogurt category. Thirty percent of the shoppers that bought our Laskira weren't buying yogurt at all, so it brought a new shopper in. It just went from strength to strength to strength, and Arla have got lots of other products in yogurt now. Arla protein, I think they've got some reduced sugar stuff. So the brand has gone from I wouldn't like to say what it's worth now, but it's it's certainly um, certainly flown off the shelves. So um, you need support internally right you, it, it's tough when even internally the sales guys particularly are going we've tried this before you know what's different about this well what's different about this is the product for one you know the support it's getting the research we've done with consumers who were saying it's great i mean basically consumers said if you stick iceland on anything we'll buy it because iceland you know all of a sudden you picture you know fit people when I say fit people I mean strong I don't mean like sexy people sure. fit people blonde hair blue eyes you know uh, fresh air glaciers um spas you know it, it conjures up lots of really positive notes so we, and it's one of the few times in my career when it didn't matter what anyone said to me I knew it would be successful it's, it's happened one other time with such um so strongly because clearly right everything you do you have to believe it's going to work but there's there's twice in my life when it's been such a strong feeling and one was that and the second one was when I made the cats with thumbs advert for Cravendale which again oh I love that that you that was genius yeah we did two but the first one and again everybody internally was going she's off her trolley (laughs) this is not this is not a thing and then I remember a particular guy in sales just kept going this I don't get it I just don't get it it's not gonna and then it won advert of the year there used to be a program didn't there between Christmas and New Year and it counted down the adverts and it won advert of the year and he rang me in fairness to him went I was wrong I was wrong. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, uh, so yeah, that was that was me and my crazy mind. Well, I think it's that tenacity because, I mean, there's when, when you're working with a team, there's something so joyful about having that shared vision and you're all kind of working towards the same goal. So to be sort of feeling like some people weren't quite supporting it, I, I think that that just shows your tenacity. But something else I'm really fascinated in is also the link between leadership and resilience. So... Would you say that you've got sort of resilience built in and, and has it has it been tested? Yeah, I mean, it's tested often. I mean, I, I think, linking back again to something we were saying before, I think if you, if you let your resilience fail, you become a manager, not a leader. Yeah. I, I think if you start to kind of break down a little bit, then, you know, for me, when my resilience starts to fail, I can feel myself starting to want to just tell people what to do. And, 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 you know, if I'm not quite getting out of them what I want and I have to consciously stop that and think about there's a war here, it's not a battle. And actually, if I let them get that wrong, what, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. You know, no one's dying. We're selling chips and Yorkshire puddings. It, 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 they will le- probably learn more from doing it wrong than me stopping them in their tracks and going, hang on a minute, that's not quite right. And, and, and them resenting me for it. So I think I think for me resilience in leadership is about 
having a style. When I say sticking to it, I think I've got several styles. I get all my energy from people. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm very good at adapting to what that person needs. And there's always going to be people that w- want you to say, just do this, just do this, just do this. And, and that gets the best out of them. There's always going to be people that just want you to set the direction and go away. There's going to be people that want a weekly check-in, a bi-weekly check-in. There's going to be people that their competencies are great, but their behaviours maybe not so much and vice versa. So... For me, I, I, you know, I, I check myself on resilience as a leader quite often because when everybody gets in the grip, as Myers Briggs would call it, yeah. you, you know, that that's when it can start to fail, and that's when you can switch into manager mode. And and you know what? Sometimes that's fine. Sometimes what people need is a manager, you know, at that time. But I try not to go there, particularly with my sort of senior brand managers. You know, I try not not to do that. I'm not saying I always succeed, but um, but I try really hard not to. And you've mentioned a couple of times about being passionate about the brand. And I, I know I've sort of spoken uh, on this podcast about how uh, at the social element, we get a little bit overexcited about our clients. And I've got a tendency to go out and buy loads of things, which gets quite expensive when you're working with car companies and, and, <laughs> and exercise bikes as well. But, um, uh, but tell me about that passion, because, you know, do you think that it's, only possible to work with a brand if you're passionate about it for example I do I absolutely believe that and I'm sure it's a contentious opinion but again it goes back to do what you love right if you if you can't love that brand and you're not a consumer of that brand and again I'd quote you know the golden circle which is about people care more about why you do something than what you do yeah like as a marketeer now how can you put that passion and belief into the why if you're not passionate about what it is you're trying to sell. And another another great quote I always think is, is the one um, that says, don't try and sell people what you think they need. Talk to them about joint beliefs mm-hmm. and the rest will come. <laughs> and again, you know, that whole, we're talking about values here, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what it boils down to is values. And I honestly think if you're not passionate about I mean I I did a stint when I worked at Arla for about a year on Costello cheese which is a blue cheese I don't like cheese I like cheese but I don't like blue cheese I don't eat blue cheese it was the worst year of my life because I just couldn't put anything in of me into it it was very functional and I was fine sorting the promotional plan out and, and going through the motions of the four p's and that was great but I didn't give it the energy it needed because I wasn't passionate about it. It's funny we should be talking about this because um, I've just had my house redecorated and I've discovered these things called command strips. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Oh, no. What's that? Oh, my <laughs> God. They are the best invention ever. So, so I've, as I say, I've just paid a fortune to get my house completely decorated and I didn't want to start putting nails in for pictures and, and ruin, you know, and I'm not very good at DIY. So command strips, are, are, and they come in all shapes and sizes, but basically it's a strip with a sticky on the back with a little tab, and it's, it's got it's two pieces that Velcro together. And you stick it on your wall, you stick your picture up, and then if it's not quite in the right place, you pull the little tab and it, and it comes away kind of completely, oh, wow. doesn't ruin your paintwork, doesn't anything. So we had a, a, a marketing leadership team meeting this morning and somebody noticed... A, the the listeners won't be able to see this, but somebody noticed some new um, decoration behind me, and I went off onto this rant about command strips. <laughs> and somebody went, "Oh my god, you should work for them!" Like, <laughs> you... <laughs> but it is that thing. I don't. I genuinely don't think I could go 
and work for and 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 it's a luxury at my time of my career right i get that i get that youngsters don't have always have the luxury to go i don't eat i'm gonna probably offend someone that don't eat bacon so i'm not gonna go and work for the danish bacon board but 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 i i think you will never give it your all you just won't give it your all. I think marketing these days is about that belief system. I'm repeating myself, but you know, you're not selling to people. You, it's a bit. You you are, but but you but you're doing it in a way that oh, oh, you're making them see that you get them and that and that you believe what they believe. So with Aunt Bessie's, that's really easy. I have to say because you know it's we're about roast dinners. Everybody loves a roast dinner. We know that the roast dinner. When you talk to people about roast dinners. It's not about the food. It is in a sense because everybody's roast dinner recipe is the best roast dinner recipe, right? Absolutely. You know, you, you talk to 100 people, what's the best roast dinner? You'll get 100 answers. So it, it is about the food in a sense and it's about, we call, we call it a timeless tradition. It's part of our brand purpose is the comfort of a timeless tradition. So, so it is a bit about the food and the handed down recipes. But when you engage someone in a conversation about roast dinner, they'll talk to you about what happened, who was there. Yeah. I told my mum I was pregnant over roast dinner. I told so actually, bringing all that emotional benefit to the top for a brand like Aunt Bessie's is super easy. You know, it's not it's not a difficult it's not a difficult thing. And I think I think that's just what you know. What Nike do it really well. The brands who are savvy these days, I think that's what they do. You know, they're not out there selling products; they're out there selling joint beliefs really i also just really really want a roast dinner now (laughs) (laughs) you see that's the thing your passion just sells it so well as well and i I can't wait to sort of all have like bigger you know groups in the house and having roast dinners so i know that's the thing right christmas was a strange one you know when we got all our christmas data back if you like it was strange because you'd expect there to have been a lot more roast dinners but there wasn't Mm. because actually people said well I can only have four people around I'm not I'm going to do something a bit different or I'm not going to bother or I'm going to do a and we split roast dinners down into kind of a simple one which is a meat and two veg really a standard one which is kind of your bog standard Sunday and then a a, a, and then a, a complex one which might have up to sort of six seven veg or so that's where you'd expect Christmas to be but actually there was much more sort of simple and standard because yeah the people were just a bit over it in terms of if I can't have loads of people to impress and to I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother to a certain extent I hope you're well stocked up for this coming Christmas because I think people are going to go absolutely insane and (laughs) just go all in definitely (laughs) so now we'll move on to the part of the podcast where we get a bit more personal frankly a bit nosy (laughs) so let's start with what's your guilty pleasure oh as well as Peter Andre, um, <laughs> trash TV without a doubt. Like, oh my god, Towie, I love, I love Towie. Um, I, I was, I, I had a call with ITV yesterday, which we put a lot of our business through ITV, so we have quite a regular catch up with them. And I was delighted to hear that the camera crew were on the plane to Mallorca for Love Island. I was like, <laughs> oh my god. This is the best news ever. And they know me so well, those guys. Now, William, one of the guys, he was like, and this is news just for you, Sam. 
Love Island is going ahead. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so absolutely. TV that you don't even really have to watch. You don't even really have to, you know, work is pretty intense for me. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I don't, my mum and dad are obsessed with sort of crime thrillers. And have you watched it? I, I, if I have to concentrate on it, I'm not really that interested. If I can just sit and kind of with a cup of tea and, and almost be on my phone and doing it, then that, that's the kind of TV I love. But yeah, Towie's my all-time, my all-time favourite. I'm, I'm right there with you with Towie, Chelsea. I think I've got into Selling Sunset on Netflix. I think anything like uh, just, it's like a holiday for the mind. Is that one that you've liked as well? They're making another series of Selling Sunset. I can't wait. And then Housewives of Cheshire was back on Monday, which is another one of my favourites as well. There you go. I, th- I think the funny thing is that I've kind of, I, I've always been into rather bad, trashy TV. And uh, my my girlfriend has a bit more sort of cultured tastes and I've managed to impact her style. But I, I think it's for the better, particularly during lockdown. We all need a bit of trash TV, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm feeling a bit better about having the chase and tenable on series recording. Oh, yeah, do it. Can't believe I just said that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) So um, what's your idea of a perfect weekend? Oh, it's it's really quite straightforward. I've not been able to do it for the last year, but me and my son are big Manchester United supporters and we have season tickets at Old Trafford. So, um, you know, the weekend would normally start with a takeaway on a Friday night. And then I've got two children, I should say this, I've got two children, 15 and seven. I'm a single mom, so it's just me and them. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, takeaway on a Friday night. Saturday is mostly filled with being a taxi. Yeah. It's all started up again now, but obviously for a bit of lockdown, we've not had this, but, you know, football training on a Saturday morning. My daughter goes to theatre school as well for a few hours. Um, And then, you know, Saturday afternoon swimming. And then Sunday morning, my son would normally play football. And then then if Manchester United are playing at home over the weekend, that would be weaved in somewhere as well. So um, I'm a really simple being. I I don't get up to much else other than that. My 15-year-old son even keeps saying to me, are you ever going to get a boyfriend? And I'm like, this is awkward now when you start. When your son's pushing you onto Bumble, it's like <laughs> <laughs> my Sundays always involve a Sunday roast. I'm, I'm a, a Sunday roast addict, and sometimes we'll use Aunt Bessie's, and sometimes I'll make my own. And after the make my own one, it's always that was really nice, Mum. But can we have proper Aunt Bessie ones next week? Brilliant. brilliant. So there's a little bit of a double edged sword in my house. I have to it, say, it's interesting <laughs> because there's very little crossover on a plate of people that use Aunt Bessie's roasties and Yorkshire's. They'll normally use one or the other. Right. And, it, and it's a fascinating thing. It was a fascinating thing that came out of a big piece of usage and attitudes work we did a couple of years ago. Where there's a point where convenience becomes laziness, <laughs> and, and 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 Yorkshire puddings and roast potatoes are the two hardest elements that people quote back to us that that are the hardest elements to do so they're willing to sort of compromise on one but compromising on two just feels a bit lazy and it doesn't feel sort of special enough so it's quite it's quite fascinating that that's a big challenge for us next year is to go how do we convince people that are both of those things are enough like homemade to kind of get it over the line you're going to have to introduce a third thing that's more challenging so that they're happy to do to sort of buy two from you and then focus on the third more challenging thing. <laughs> for me, I would have said the meat's the most challenging, but apparently I'm in the minority. But there you go. <laughs> Obviously, the last 15 months have been incredibly difficult and challenging for so many people. But what's what's motivated you during lockdown? 
without turning into Debbie Downer mode, I, I, I found it extremely tough and it's definitely affected my mental health. I've never suffered from anxiety in, I mean, I'm 48. I've never suffered from anxiety my whole life. And yet I've found myself getting anxious about certain things. Slight digression, ridiculous story. I had a new sofa delivered in lockdown back end of, it might've been just into the new year actually. And I found myself at midnight that night measuring and remeasuring all my door frames, panicking about whether this sofa was going to get through my door and yet rewind two years ago the guys would have turned up with the sofa and I wouldn't have even thought about it I would have been like oh it don't oh it don't fit oh help but but and it's a silly example but there's been a lot of things like that that have, have sort of got into my head I think not having a commute hasn't helped me mm-hmm. I think I think so. I've I've tried to do things like you know, get out of the house for half an hour on a morning, and before I go and pick the kids up on an evening, to sort of just switch off work mode back into mum mode, sort of the way I used to use the commute. So, and, and I get all my energy from people. I'm a real people person. I'm a massive extrovert, as I'm sure you've probably realised by now. So you know, I will wander around the office, and there'll be a problem in my head, and I'll talk to a few people about it. And by the time I've done a walk the floor as my team call it people come over and say where's Sam she's walking the floor (laughs) so by the time I've done that I'll have solved it and I've probably solved it on my own but getting it out there is so so I've really I've let things build up because I've not had a a kind of way to get them out so I've struggled I've absolutely struggled and you know we won't be going back into an office part-time at least till at least the end of June Um, they're going to think about kind of staggering us back in then so got to stay strong but I think the team, my team have kept me motivated because I've got a responsibility for them and they've struggled as well. You know, we have half an hour every day, first thing on a morning where we don't even talk about work. We just get on and we have a chat and who's done this and what was the football last night and what, but, but they've kept me motivated in the sense that I'm responsible for them. And if they're suffering, I'm suffering and I, and I want to be there for them and help them. But I'm not going to lie, it's been really hard, really hard, you know, because it, particularly in the first lockdown, and you guys probably found this when you were completely alone, mm. you know, I've been really lucky that since the second lockdown, I've been able to stay in a bubble with my parents because I'm a single parent. But in the first one, I couldn't. And, you know, there was no other adults in the house, just me. And I was I was literally rocking in the corner by about week three. Yeah. It was really, really hard. But then the kids felt it as well. They couldn't see their friends. They couldn't go to school. So it, it was hard. But, you know, thinking about others before myself has has definitely kept me motivated. And it's so important to talk about it as well, because uh, I think um, something that Wendy and I were picking up from the conference today is this talk about post-traumatic stress disorder that we're going to have as a result of going through this, that yes, some people have managed it in, in different ways, but for a lot of people, it has just been so, so tough. But by talking about it and knowing that you're not alone and and that it's okay to sort of have some anxiety about stuff that you didn't used to have anxiety about I think it's it has led to perhaps more conversations about uh, mental wellness which is which has got to be good for for the industry definitely but I think just for society as well I a thousand percent and shout out to birds I hear they've recognized it from day one and there's lots of things it's mental health wellness week this week and there's things going on every day there's a wonderful lady called Emma Tomes that you should look up on LinkedIn who's been doing talks for us and you're not allowed to do them like this you have to do them as a walk and talk so you know the things like that there's a there's a really good app actually called talk it out and that a guy called Chris Barris Brown um invented I think maybe I'm crediting him for something he didn't invent and maybe he just told me about it but again (laughs) 
again, it kind of helps you get out and about. And 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 I'm I'm a bit I'm a big fan of that. I think you know, fresh air gives me energy. Yeah. If I go out for a little walk at lunchtime, you know, there's an hour and a half slot over our diaries from twelve till half one, and you are not allowed to put meetings in yeah. over that hour and a half to really kind of. And you you know they're not saying don't work they're just saying that you know I mean I tend to use it to go out for a walk but a lot of people use it to actually do some work yeah because for the rest of the hours of the day they're doing this you know they're sat in front of their video kind of chatting and and, and doing meetings you know and I miss the gossip yeah I miss a bit of office gossip you know it's like it's just I mean we we were laughing actually this morning in the team session saying that first day that we're all back in the office we can write that day off because nobody, you know, productivity is going to go down by about 70%, I think, in the first three weeks. Because the amount of stuff you get done at home yeah, is, is ridiculous. And that's not going to happen, I don't think, when we're back in an office. You're but... going to have to schedule hugging time as well. Yes. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. See, I'm so tactile as well. I can't, oh, I can't wait for a hug. Cannot wait. <laughs> now, shifting gear, what's one of the most adventurous things you've ever done? I've really, really, really struggled with this because I'm so boring. I'm just not very adventurous. I, I thought about, um, and it's going to sound so lame when I say it out loud, but I, I went on holiday when I was about 18 to Corfu and didn't come back for the whole summer. <laughs> that's, 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 that's adventurous. <laughs> I've never done that. I, I loved it so much. And a couple of lads who I was friends with were out there working. That's why we went there to see them. And I just rang my mum a week and I was like, yeah, I'm not coming home. I'm gonna, uh, and I was working at the time. I was working for Gola, the sportswear people. Like, do you want to ring my boss and just tell him I'm not coming back, mum? <laughs> like Adventurousness is not just about jumping out of airplanes. True. <laughs> True. I'm quite good at getting out of my comfort zone every day another thing going back to when we were talking mm -hmm. about Asha Miramadi right at the beginning he used to say to me do something every day that feels a bit uncomfortable even if it's just parking in a different car parking place you know and and I, every day I do try and do that and, and it'll be a mundane thing you know it'll, it won't be anything I'm not going to clean my teeth today you know it's silly things I try and mm -hmm. do just to kind of shake it up and keep it um keep it a bit real well I think cumulatively that probably adds up to being really adventurous brilliant I'll take it <laughs> so if we could gift you an extra hour every day what would you do with it I spend it with my kids without an absolute mm -hmm. doubt that's really easy I just don't I mean my 15 year old obviously doesn't want to spend any time with me but the little one my seven year old and because their dad's not around uh, he works abroad as well so they only see him every three or four months so I'm mm. more man dad um and and absolutely one thing that that lockdown has given me is more time with my kids and 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 I'm nervous about that I'm nervous about going back into an office and you know mm -hmm. at the minute my daughter goes to after school club three days a week and I'm still picking her up two days because I'm edging her back into that after school club but um you know at the minute I can I can log off at 5 five thirty most days and I'm there and I'm present and I'm I can get on with being a mum whereas you know normally it would be six thirty seven really mm -hmm. before we're sort of getting into that evening so yeah, absolutely. Um, spend it with my kids. How do you think your friends would describe you and or how would you like them to describe you? Um, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Loyal, fiercely loyal. Like, you know, don't mess with my friends, loyal. Inconsistent, yeah. I think they would say. And, and when I say that, what I mean is I am that friend that I might speak to you every week for a month and then I might not see you for six months. 
but hopefully I would like them to say that even if I wasn't around, I am around. You know, they always would feel like they can um, they can pick up the phone to me. I'm I'm really good at dates and birthdays and stuff as well. I am that person that gets on the WhatsApp group and says, don't forget, it's tomorrow's birthday at the week. I am that kind of reminder. And in fact, I missed an anniversary, a friend's anniversary at Easter and she put on Facebook, you know, my two years married, whatever, and I was mortified because I'd forgotten. And I put on the post, oh, my God, I can't believe I've forgotten this. I'm so, and I immediately went on Moonpig and like, order a card. And I got about 16 texts from my friends going, are you okay? <laughs> no, seriously, are you okay? You never miss this stuff. Like, I, I, really, are you okay? And, I, and I, I was okay. I just missed it. But, uh, but, yeah. And if you weren't doing the job that you're doing now, what else would you be doing? Something in sport. I love sport. I mean, I've said to you that I'm already a, I'm a man. I'm a big, big football fan. I've always been a big football fan. I used to run a football team when I was in my early twenties. Oh, wow. I ran a kids' football team for about um, quite a long time, actually. I, I think I probably started doing it when I was about nineteen, and they were under sevens then, and I took them right up to under sixteen. So I did it for quite a long time. <laughs> there was that moment where you were out in a bar, and two of them were at the bar going, "Miss, miss, do you want a drink?" That that was the point where I was like. <laughs> I think I'm over this now. <laughs> I think I should stop this now. Um, so football's always been a big passion, but just sport in general. If there's any sport on, I'll I'll watch it. Although I had Sky Sports News on this morning, there was the Pool World Championship, so I, I was drawing the line there. I wasn't mm-hmm. that down with that. But definitely something in sport, um, and and it would be sort of more on the office side, you know, like sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not. I don't think I'm not. I, I was always good at sport as a as a kid. I played netball and hockey and all the traditional things that girls did. That's not the same now, is it? Girls can do girl power now. Girls can do anything mm-hmm. um, now, which I'm absolutely thrilled about. But, you know, when I was at school, it was, do you want to do hockey or netball? You know, football and rugby aren't an option. So um, so that's what I did. But, yeah, de- definitely something in, something in sport. Maybe it's on my bucket list. Yeah. Maybe my bucket list mm-hmm. would be working in sport. I do keep an eye out on LinkedIn let's hope my boss doesn't listen to this I do keep an eye out on LinkedIn you know like when there's jobs come up at football clubs and stuff Mm -hmm. I always think "Mm, well it's not too late Uh, there's always a side hustle but it doesn't sound like you've got a massive amount of time for side hustles though no true very true (laughs) Sam it's been so amazing talking to you we've just really really enjoyed it and before we finish I want to kind of give you the platform for any closing thoughts or is there anything that perhaps you wish that we had asked you that that we haven't asked you yet no, I think we've digressed into lots of good areas, so that's fine. I guess my linking into what we've been saying about COVID and, you know, people are suffering from a mental, in a mental health point of view, and you never know what's going on in people's lives. So my, my parting thought would be always be kinder than you feel. You know, if someone's winding you up, assume there's something going on in the background and put a smile on your face and, and be kind. been listening to genuine humans brought to you by the social element if you loved what you heard remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency